couple of things real quick. Um, a reminder, July 30th, a Revive worship event here at the Klein. Amen. It's a worship night with uh, three other worship teams. It's going to be amazing. Uh, they've asked me to preach that night. That's going to be awesome, I think. I don't know. I'll pray about it. Praise God. And uh, I've announced it a couple times with our leaders and some of our volunteers. I don't think with everybody, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what's happening in October. October 2nd through the 12th, 10 days of 24-hour prayer and fasting. And um, I'm asking whoever and whenever and however, we will be at Howard Avenue for some of those days. We'll be here for some of those days worshiping and just, it's going to be amazing. And we're going to have um, probably minimum five services throughout that week of just prayer. And when I say services, I mean with, with, a, with a speaker and a worship team, but uh, there will be worship throughout the day. There will be prayer throughout the day. You can come anytime you want as the Lord directs you. Um, I know some of our leaders have already contacted me. They're taking time off of work because we're believing God for a mighty revival. We're believing God. I, I'm pretty Pastor John because he said amen real deep. We're believing God for a mighty move. Amen. And uh, I'm excited about it. I'm committed to it. And the Lord had put me in, in, a, in, a, in a room with some people a couple of months, weeks ago, and they really stirred my spirit. And uh, man, it was just awesome. And so uh, I want, as, as those days come up, I'll, I'll tell you our lineup and who we got coming. And uh, would you put your hands together for my friend, Pastor Gabrielle? She said that she wanted to come worship with us on the low today. We don't do on the low at Citywide. We honor God's servants, amen. And... Uh, I'm probably going to ask you to come up at the end and address the crowd. Praise God. Because God gave her a word that Pastor John spoke this morning, but I'll let her tell you about it. Amen. And she just echoed what God said this morning. So we're starting a new series today, and I'm, I'm really believing that God's going to speak to your hearts and minds over these next couple of weeks. And I know that God has something in store for every single one of you on a different level. And we're starting this new series, and you should all be taking notes uh, you should all maybe use your phone or something. We're a church of note takers. We're people who, who want to get closer to God and remind ourselves constantly of what God is speaking over our church. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Our, our, our new series is called, simply called Altars. And I want to talk to you over the next four weeks about the types of altars that God is calling us as a ministry to build. Okay, I'm going to say it again. That I'm going to preach for the next four weeks about the types of altars as a ministry God's calling us to build. Okay, I know it's a July 4th weekend and you're thinking about ribs and baked mac and cheese and, and, and all that stuff. And the bad thing about cookouts is that you can't put rice and beans on the grill, so praise God. I don't go to many of those because of that, amen. But I, I, I need you to understand what I'm saying today. God's calling our church to build altars and to understand what he's doing and to see where he's taking us. Trusting and believing him for something mighty in our hearts and minds and our lives. Amen. In scripture, we read of many different instances where altars are, are mentioned. The altar played an important role in the worship of God's people, Israel. The altar was a place of sacrifice. The altar was a place of offering. The altar was a place of worship. The altar was a place of atonement. The altar was a place where people were forgiven for their sins and God and his wrath were appeased because of the sacrifices. Sound team, if you can give me a little bit less. The altar was significant because it was the center of worship for God's people. But most importantly, the altar 
is a place of consecration. A place where things are set apart for God. You see, they would would give an animal sacrifice and they would set that apart for the Lord. And people bring an offering and they would say, this I've set apart for the Lord. And so I place it on the altar because it is set, somebody say, apart. For the use and for the will of God. The altar was not a place to take lightly. It was a serious place. A place where God was communing with his people. A place where God was encountering his children. The altar is a place where you build memorials for what God has done in your life and where God has moved and where God has been faithful. And over these next few weeks, I want to talk to you about four different altars that God is calling our church to raise up before him, both on a corporate level and on an individual level. In in this scripture we're about to read, we're going to see a man who's really good at building altars. And his name is Abram. And Abram is, is an interesting character in Scripture. He would be known as Abraham. Later on, God would change his name. So if I mess it up, I'm not preaching about two different people. But Abram was a man who lived in a very ungodly place. Lived in a place where there was all types of false gods, and there was all types of idols, and there was all types of different things that he was around. And God, for some inexplicable reason, God calls out to this man, Abram, who was living in Ur of the Chaldees, and he calls him out, and he's like, Abraham, I've got a mighty call on your life. And and, and when you have a real call on your life, it's going to call for some real separation. Not part of my notes, but I got to tell you, if you really believe you got a call on your life, it's going to cause you to separate from some scenarios in your life, some circumstances, some some things you really like but God doesn't love, and you've got to find separation so that you can have time with God. There's an art of being called. It's it's the art of separating yourself properly to be used of God. And, And God goes to Abram and he's like, Abram, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to take all your stuff. I want you to get out of your father's area, neighborhood. Leave your family's neighborhood. I I, I need to call you. Somebody say out. And so God calls Abram out. And so Abram, he does the unthinkable. In my mind, he packs up all his stuff. He gets all of his goats. He gets all of his lambs. He gets all of his money, grabs his servants, his wife, his tent, and he walks to the edge of town because God hadn't even told him where he's going to go yet. The exact scripture says, to a place I will show you. And so Abraham goes and he walks to the edge of town in faith and says, God, where next? God, what's next? Some of us won't make a move unless God gives you a 10-point plan. Well, I need four more signs and two more prophets to confirm it, Lord. And Abram's just like, you're calling me out, God? I'm there. I'm with you. And he goes to the edge of town. And and in essence, he's accepting God's invitation for fellowship. Understand this. The call of God on your life is an invitation into deep fellowship with the Lord. It is an invitation for God to say to you, I want to, somebody say, fellowship with your life. I want to be in fellowship, in communion with you. 
And today we're going to talk about building the altar of fellowship with God. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to start right in verse 4. Genesis 12, verse 4, and I'm going to read a series of verses, and then we'll go back over the course of the sermon to look at what God is saying through those verses. Amen? Verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, at the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we praise you. We magnify you. We give you honor and praise. And we ask you, Father, to open our spiritual ears that your word will be heard in this place. In Jesus' name, we pray. And the church says, ever since the dawn of time, God has desired a relationship with man. In the garden, he walked with Eve and Adam, and he had a close fellowship with them until sin broke that fellowship, and God no longer had the same connection to mankind that he had had, but his love did not fail mankind in that time. And so God begins to hatch this plan of restoration that would unfold throughout the course of history. And God wanted man to be a participant. God is always looking for someone to be a participant in his plans of redemption towards mankind. In his plan to save souls, God needs participants. In his plan to change lives, God needs you and he needs me to be vessels and ambassadors who can carry his word to others. And for Abram, Almost messed that up, praise God. Abram is at this place in his life where he's kind of old already. But God is still calling him in the midst of his old age. And all the old people said, praise God. We're all like, I am young and spirit pastor. And so Abram comes to this place and everything that Abram would see and experience would only be birthed through radical obedience to God's radical plan and demand on his life. God's plan is radical, and so your obedience to God's plan has to be immediate and just as crazy and radical. Everybody might not understand in your life why you're following God the way you're following God, why you're living for him the way you're living for him, why you're giving to him the way you're giving. Everybody might not understand, but when you know you're called, you don't care about the understanding of men. You care about God. And so Abram, he goes and he's about to encounter God in ways he never thought possible. And fellowship at its core is a common bond that joins two parties together. It's a common bond that joins two parties together. And Abram is desiring God. So Abraham journeyed in obedience to God. And he ends up at this place called Shechem. And this place is really, like, really, really interesting in Scripture. Because Shechem is a place of decision. 
Have you ever got called by God and then had to make some immediate, somebody say decision. Come on, look to your neighbor and say decisions. And so God, he brings, he brings Abram to, to Shechem and he has to make decisions. And it, throughout scripture, Shechem is a place of decision. It was here that Israel would assemble in Deuteronomy 11 and choose between the blessing or the cursing of God. It was here at this place that Joshua would give his last charge in Joshua 24 to God's people. It was here that the kingdom of Solomon would one day break into two nations. It was here that Abraham would choose to be obedient to God or he would be obedient to his will. He would follow his ways rather than God's. And many people, you're at a crossroads in your life where God is saying, are you going to finally follow my will or are you going to follow your heart and your sinfulness and your offensiveness? Are you going to follow the ways of the world or are you going to go the way I'm calling you even if you don't like it. I'm at a place of Shechem in my life where I want to follow God and I have no more time for this world so I got to follow him on the path and so, and so Abram is at this place where he is following God and he's at Shechem and verse 7 says the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, meaning your children, I will give the land and so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Here's my first point for you. Thank you, Pastor John, for giving us three points earlier. We agree with God's promises at the altar of fellowship. We come into agreement with God's promises at the altar of fellowship. Why should I fellowship with the Lord? Because we come into agreement with his word. It is where God gives us his marching orders. It is at the fellowship altar. When I wake up in the morning and I fellowship with the Lord in prayer, when I open the Bible and I read his word and I fellowship with him, when I'm driving to the office and I'm worshiping like I ain't got no common sense because I am in fellowship with God and he's talking and communing with me and he's communicating his plan and I'm saying, God, I agree, so I will worship worship you at the altar of fellowship. In essence, he's saying, God, I agree. When you build the altar of fellowship, he's saying, God, I trust. God, I am with your plan, and I've come this far following your instructions. I will continue to follow you. I agree with your promises. I'll partake of this journey. I will see what you have for me, and I will go. Abraham came into agreement with the promises of God. And Abram would have never been given the promises of God if he had not come into this agreement with God. It's one thing for God to say, I want to do this through your life. It's another thing for you to say, I receive that, God. Because, because hell is full of people who God had plans for. Yeah, it's full of them because God has a plan for every person who lives. Much like Abram, God is constantly desiring that you build an altar of fellowship when he whispers promises into your heart and into your mind, when he talks to your life and he says, I need you. I need you to do X. I need you to work for me. I need you to remove yourself from this rut that you're in, this spiritual dead place you're in. And I need you to come out and come alive in me. And you have to come to the altar of fellowship. If your fellowship with the Lord is broken, your walk is broken. Can I just... Coming to church on Sundays is not walking with God. 
It's meeting with God. Fellowshipping with God throughout the week is walking with God. Communing with him is walking with God. Fulfilling the place and the call over your life through your walk with God, that's fellowshipping with God. Yeah, you may work a, a secular nine-to-five job, but you can still have purpose on your job. You can still lead people to Christ on the job. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You can still have fellowship with God. You have to have a daily relationship. Every morning, you should build an altar of fellowship. Every evening, you should build an altar of worship and of prayer. You are not too busy to seek the Lord. You are not too busy. And here's why. Because if the God of all creation, he who made the universe and breathes out stars, if that God is making time for you, how dare you not make time for him? Because you're too tired or you're too busy or you're too upset, or you're mad, or you're in a rut, get over yourself, you hypocritical Christian. And realize that God is making time for you, and you have to make time for God. Well, I'm not where I used to be because you broke the fellowship. You don't pray like you used to pray. You don't read like you used to read. You don't study his word. You don't come before the altar of grace like you used to because now you got it all. Build the altar of fellowship with the Lord, and it'll restore your relationship with God. Build the altar of fellowship with the Lord. It'll start the fire, because on top of the altar is where the fire burns. But if there's no altar in your life, if your altar is your television, if your altar is your Facebook, if your altar is your offendedness, then you will not see God operate, and the fire won't burn. Because there's no fellowship with God. It's wake up, rush off to work, come home, tired, watch TV, put the kids to bed, go to sleep, do it over again. There's no altar in your house. If you fit that bill, don't get mad at me. Understand God's trying to talk to you so you can build the fellowship altar. I'm so tired of people, well, I'm just, I'm just not where I used to be in my spirit. I'm just not, you are not even worshiping him the way you used to worship. There's no fellowship with you and God. And God hasn't changed, it's just us. We become indifferent towards everything. We, we take God for granted. We take a spirit-filled church for granted. And God's saying, now, I need the church. Anybody hear the church? I need my church to build the altar of fellowship. An altar of fellowship where we partake of his word, encounter his spirit, and we continuously remember God's promises over our lives. And Satan will do anything to break the altar of fellowship. He will do anything. He, listen, he did everything he had to do to make Adam fall and break the altar of fellowship. He'll bring temptation your way to break the altar of fellowship. He'll bring imitation altars. He'll bring the altar of works. Well, because I work, I am actually, don't replace your walk with your work. Remember that a couple of months ago? Don't replace your walk. That's an imitation to have your hope in the works that you do. Where is the righteous living? He says that you have to build this altar. Satan will do anything. He'll send you temptations and imitations. He'll send you distractions and discouragement. And sometimes your discouragement is your distraction. 
He'll do whatever he can to keep you off the focus of being a mighty, spirit-filled Christian in fellowship with the living God who understands the principles of victory over your life instead of always feeling beat down, tired, run down. You ever, you ever felt tired and hadn't even done nothing? I know a lot of Christians are just tired, I'm tired, but you haven't done nothing. Well, what are you tired for? There's no fruit on your, what, you haven't even done, what, what are you tired for? Where's the altar that we're supposed to build until the Lord returns? Build the altar of fellowship. Stoke the fires of worship and prayer and study and fasting and intercession. Because the Lord is calling you. It's, it's at the altar that the Lord reminds you of his promises and his faithfulness and his sureness in your life. And if there's no altar being lifted up in your home, then you won't be reminded about the promises of God. That says, I got you. I'm with you. I love you. If there's no altar, there's no instruction of God. Don't, don't be angry. Forgive them. Don't hold on to that. It's toxic. Forgive as I have forgiven you. Bear with one another. Be gentle. Be kind. If there's no altar, there's no place for God to discuss something with you. Because you don't have a time set aside. You don't have a place in your heart for the Lord. But Abram understood fellowship. And God made him a promise. So Abram built an altar. He doesn't stop there. The next verse, verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east there, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. If I could take a moment to let you know that Abraham pitched his tent, but he built God something permanent. Too many of you are trying to give God something temporary and then build yourself something permanent. Abram, he pitched his tent, built God's altar. Some of you are trying to build your house, pitch God an altar. A temporary Sunday thing. I'm just going because if I don't come, they're going to text me. <laughs> That's your condition. Maybe you shouldn't be here. You have to get to this place where you're building the altar and pitching your tent because that's not your final place God's called you to. But some of us want to build our, our lives in the past. Want to build your whole outlook on life based on something that happened two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And God's saying, no, you've got to build an altar. Abram built an altar everywhere he went. We'll look at more scriptures, but he built an altar like every place he, when he pitched his tent, built God an altar. He would move on from this land, but the altar would remain. Understand this. He would move on from this place, but the altar would remain. And it was there again that he agreed with the promises of the Lord. And what does he do? He called upon the name of the Lord. Abram was building altars and memorials and reminders every place he went to show he was in agreement and fellowship and communion with the only living God. And daily fellowship does that for you. It grows your spirit, strengthens you in the work of God. 
is point number two. Are you ready? I have to build my altars to remind myself of his promises. Sometimes you're going to get to this place in your life where you encounter hardship because you built an altar. And some of you might not know that because you haven't built one in a really long time and everything's going really good for you. But you know, everything going really good is not always a sign that God is with you. I like how John Bevere says that some of us have exchanged good for God. And, and God is clear in Scripture about fellowshipping and, and being in communion with him. And it's also clear that when he calls you, oftentimes things happen. You see, Genesis 12, verse 10, the Bible says that a great famine hit the land that Abram was in. And this, this really confounds me because Abram was in the place that God called him to and God promised him. Have you ever followed God exactly to the place he told you to go and more hardship followed you? You ever felt like God said, go here, and you went there, and all hell broke loose? Like, God, why'd you send me to this place? <clears throat> you ever felt like, you know, God really sent you to trick you? And a great famine broke out in the land. And Abram decided on his own, because there's no scripture reference where he decided to pray about it, he says, I'll go to Egypt. I'll go to this other place where I know there's food, I know there's sustenance, I'll go there. And to me, this is a problem, and we'll see why in a few seconds. It's a problem because Abram is showing now a lack of faith in God. You see, Abram is the father of faith because he always had faith. He's a father of faith because in the end, he kept the faith. Abram decides on his own to go to Egypt, and it's at this time that he begins to start a lie where he tells the Pharaoh of Egypt that his wife Sarai is his sister. And this might be partially true because back then they married their sister, but he was being deceptive and he was being a liar. And it's funny that sometimes storms tend to bring out the true character of people. It's the hardship that brings out who you really are. Because some people, when God makes the promise, yeah, woo, I'm so with you. And then the hard time hit, well, he must not be a man of God. You say yes to God's promise, but the moment hardship comes in, you answer the call, but then a hardship comes in. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't know about this anymore. Come on, church. If you have the altar built, you would have consulted God. Abram didn't do that. He goes over there and he lies and he brings plagues on the Egyptian people and the Pharaoh's household because of his lies. And they kick him out. They say to him, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was not your wife? Why'd you say she was your sister? I took her for my wife because the Pharaoh ended up taking Sarai as his own wife. He said, why did you not tell me she was yours? Take her and go. He was afraid, Abram was afraid. Why was Abram afraid? He was afraid that the promised land couldn't sustain him. So he left it. He was afraid that the promiser couldn't sustain him. So he abandoned God. I wish you would understand this. And so God had to send plagues to bring him back. Some of the things you are going through is God sending stuff at you to get you back on the right track. Yeah. And God sent 
plagues at the house of Pharaoh just so that he would go back to the promised land that had a famine in it. Are you with me so far? (laughs) Abram compounds his character flaws by lying, by being deceptive, having no faith in God to sustain him even in the midst of struggle and famine. He never said, God, should I go to Egypt? Because God would have surely said, I'll sustain you right where I promised you. If I said to you, I'll give you this land, why not just trust me in this land? And he journeyed on, verse 3 in chapter 13, from the Negev. Now he's leaving Egypt as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. And because he built a permanent altar there for the Lord, verse 4, he built an altar there first. He was able to go back to the place where he had built the altar before. We had made the mistake of leading God's will. And he says, God, I'm back. I'm calling upon you to deliver me right now. I'm coming back into fellowship with you. He goes right back to the altar he built last. Are you getting this, church? Some of you have no point of reference because you have no altars left. Some of us don't got a place to go back to because we haven't been building altars. I built some altars in my life. I faced the hard times and had to build the altars in my heart and in my mind. Could you do me a favor? Could you move this table to right there? I've built, somebody say some altars. I got some altars back here that I built for my example here. Oh, there's people here. Can you help me, guys? Praise God. Can you just bring some of these? Just put them on the side here. So I took, right, and I, I dug deep into my treasure trove. Amen. And I, I, could you put that first slide up for me? I, you can leave them right there, Elias. Put that first slide for me. I built my first altar. Many of you might not remember or believe it, but that citywide, right after my dad died, that's the logo he had. That's the pulpit he preached behind. That piano is in the same spot that I played at the Sunday after my father passed away, three days later, worshiping God with my whole heart. And I said, God... I don't always understand your plan, but I'm going to build an altar. And I'm going to come into fellowship with you. And I know that you've told me when I was a kid that I would pastor and I would do great things and all these things I would see. And God, I'm coming into agreement with what you're saying in my life. And I remember during this season of my life, it was difficult. 22 years old. 20-member church, but I was trusting and I was believing in God. I was was saying, God, I don't care what it looks like now. I know the vision you've given me, and I can stay faithful in the now until the next thing comes, and we experience good times and bad times, highs and lows. I experience friendship and betrayal at the same platform, and I've seen people come and people go, but God has never left me. God has always been faithful. And God was so faithful that one day during service, Alex texted me and he says, Pastor, there's no more seats. What are we going to do? 
This is the middle of worship. I'm like, why are you putting this problem on my shoulders right now? <laughs> like, go find some extra chairs, fool. Like, leave me alone. I got to preach in a minute. And we got to this place where for six to seven weeks straight, if I'm not mistaken, every single chair in the place, there was standing room only. And it was then that I realized that that altar couldn't hold me no longer. And I did like Abraham, and I cried out to the Lord. And it was that, in that season where, where I, I found out some things that, that were going on with the building, and, and I fell into the deepest depression of my life. And I was literally at the point of suicide seven days, and I was, had to leave stuff at the altar. And I had to battle with the Spirit of God, and I had to really say, God, if you've called me, I need you to show me what's, what's next. Can I get that next slide? And God called me, and he called me to that place where it was so hot. That's our first service at Bassick. Somebody praising God, amen. <laughs> and, and I remember going into Bassick in that front part of the stage. We had to build it out. I remember setting up and, and doing all the things the first couple of days. And I remember the first day we went there to set up, it wasn't even a service day. It was like the day before the service. And, and um, I brought like... A thousand people with me to go set this place up, and it took us two and a half hours to set it up. And then we're all like, "Yeah, yeah, this is great." I'm like, "This is not great at all." And they're like, "I think it was Stephen, if I'm not mistaken, kidding me." What's next? I said, "Take it all down and do it again. We have to get faster." They were like, "Really?" Everybody went from like, "Yeah," to like, "Oh my God, this dude is crazy." <laughs> Second time we had it up in 40 minutes, and it was amazing. And they got better and better every single week. But I remember this altar. I remember God being faithful. I remember God using us in a mighty way to touch people's lives who were walking by the school. I remember God multiplying us. We went in there about 140 strong, and we left about 250 strong. I remember God doing a work in there, and I built an altar there, and I remember that place, and I always thank God for it because it was those hot days that make me appreciate what we got now. It was those days of lugging up the, lugging the, the, the big amplifiers in the devil's box. It was so heavy, we started calling it the devil's box. Only Satan would make a box that heavy. And it was building it up. It was dragging it up those stairs before anybody was there. It was bringing the drum sets in and out. It was taking speakers and lifting them on our backs. And we didn't have it easy like we have now. We could roll the truck up and just unload it right into the building. And there was times when people lost faith, but I didn't have the option of losing faith. I wish I had some of your options. I wish I could be a quitter like some of y'all. I wish that I could just give up sometimes. But there's too much riding on what God's doing in my life. I don't have the option of not showing up. I don't got that option. I got to go forward. And so I built this altar. I said, God, I need you. I need you. And it was like every time I was getting ready for God to do something greater in my life, things got worse. And it was in this time that my wife got pregnant with our first daughter. And I can get that next slide. And while we were at Bassick, Arya was born six weeks premature, and I was afraid. I was a new dad, and I was afraid for her life. And I was like, God, if you take care of my daughter, I'll keep on pastoring. Because at that point, I wanted to quit because some people make ministry impossible. <laughs> the good thing about church is people. The bad thing is also people. And I said, God... I remember, that's my fat finger, amen. 
It just looks worse because the way I had to stretch the picture, I'm just saying, my, my thumb is normal, praise God. And I remember that day holding her. That was the day they finally took the breathing, the, the feeding tube out of her nose. And I said, God, I'm going to give her to you and I'm going to raise her right. But I need you to take care of her. And me and God came into a covenant that day that nothing would come against my children. And I made that promise to God. And I remember making the promise. I told God, I'm not my father. I have a different covenant I want. I have different things that I need. He never faced the stuff I'm facing. And I built an altar there. I said, God, I need you. I need you to strengthen me because I've never been a dad before. I was scared. In every season, are you getting this? Every season of my life, I'm building an altar. I pitched my tent, I built an altar. But when God called me somewhere else, I picked up my tent, I dropped it, and I built an altar. And God called me from being a spiritual father to being a physical father. I picked up my tent, I built another altar, and I pitched it here. And as I was going through my pictures, I remember that not too long after she was born, if you could show me that next slide, one of the greatest moves of God I've ever had in my life. This was our first big Easter at Bassick where we had 700 people come out. And man, I knew that it was God. I knew that it was God because we weren't that smart <laughs> and we weren't that good. And I said, God, he said, I wanted these to be further apart, but I knew that this attack was connected with this altar. I knew that this attack here on my daughter's life and on her health and on my family was attached to God working this miracle through Josh and the worship team that night. And I remember that night where they were singing that song, which was the anthem by Planet Shakers, and the Holy Spirit fell so thick that people abandoned their ushering post and they just walked into the altar and people just supposed to be doing stuff and they just walked away. <laughs> like, like, everybody left but kids ministry. They stayed. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on. And we all just came to the altar. I remember Carlos Corris coming up and Pastor Melvin coming up and everybody just coming up to the altar. We just, people were laid out all over, the, all over Bastic. It was dirty, but we didn't care because it was God. The floor was nasty, but God was good. And I built this altar. I said, God, only you, only you. It's around the same time. I can get that next picture. Around the same time at the BOE, tried to play us, and, and this is me and Pastor Lori standing before the Bridgeport Board of Education telling them they're crazy for thinking they're gonna charge us $2,000 a week at Bassett for that Kermie place. I told them that this is not Norwalk and Fairfield or Stanford schools. Have you taken a look at Bassett lately? 100% thug about it, like, y'all crazy. I don't know what school y'all went to, but we went to Bassett. Like, they haven't changed a tile in 57 years. Like, we had, to, we had to sew the curtains up. They were so terrible. We had to buy light bulbs for the show lights. It was that bad. We had to build the rest of the stage in because some bozo built it in the weirdest shape that made absolutely no sense. We had to go in there. We invested time and energy and money. We painted the stage. We put money and time into it. And now you're trying to, because you saw it and like it, think it looks great, you want to jack up my rent? But... 
This altar was different. This altar was really different for me. You see, at this altar, when the move came, I was fearful. I was depressed. I was hurting. I thought God had abandoned me when I realized that Howard Ave was not good enough for us anymore. And then Bassick, I was fearful nobody would come. And then Aria, I was fearful here. And I had dealt so much with fear that by this time, this is what I did. Cue spiritual music. I'm still on point two. <laughs> At this time, this is what I did. Um, this, is, this, is, this is where I derived the, this whole thought process. I, I went like this. I, I kid you not. I took a moment and I inventoried my life. And I said, the God who was with me when daddy died is the God who was with me when I moved into Bassett. And the God who got me here is the God who will get me there. If he didn't forsake me then, he won't forsake me now. If he thought I was good enough to lead her, I'd be good enough to lead them. The God that helped me navigate my heart and my hurt through all these five years of ministry that got me to this point, I was past fear and I was in deep waters of faith where I knew that only God so before service, I grabbed two men. Um, one was Jamie Medina. Where you at, Jamie? You in here right now? Jamie. Put your hands together for Jamie. And a brother who has since moved to Florida from our church, his name is Hector Vasquez. Remember that conversation we had in the hallway, Jamie? I took you two aside. And I told you what they said about the BOE. And we walked the hallways. At this point, I looked at them and I said, y'all figure this out. I got to preach. <laughs> and I, Jamie was praying about it. And Hector was praying about it. But they were also looking for stuff. And Hector was driving to church one morning. And he says, Just, why not decline? <laughs> you see, what I love about Hector is that Hector's father helped him build a church in Florida where he was at, where he used to live at. He built this big church over there with this, with this ministry, and that was, you know, the thing that God used his father to do. And it was no different here. He had the same calling on his life. He positioned us to be here. He negotiated a good contract for us, and, and he got us in here for, for much cheaper than we were going to pay at Bassick. And it was, it was still a step of faith. But at this point, because I had built other altars... 
I knew that God was going to deliver me. Around the same time, this happened. Come on, next slide. Come on, next slide. And you may not know what this is, but I was in my office, or actually at my church one day on Howard Avenue, and I met these two insane people who walked into a pastor's meeting of about four of us, and it was Father Christopher Layton and Pastor Gabrielle Beam, and these two people came to four broke pastors, and they said, we want to rent the arena, we want to bring Luis Palau, and everything they said was like probably like $140,000. And we planned it all for eight weeks. We got pastors together. Everything, everything happened. And Saturday morning, the morning of the event, I got a phone call from one of the organizers from the Luis, Luis Palau ministry. His name is Randy. And Randy's like, hey, Luis. And I'm like, hey, white guy who's really happy at this early in the morning. <laughs> He's like, you know, we have everything tonight. And I'm like, yeah, I'm excited, bro. I'm, I'm really amped up about this. He's like, we don't have one thing. And I'm like, well, what, do you, what don't you have? He's like, we don't have an MC for the night. We don't have somebody to host a service. Like the guy we thought was going to come from New York, he's just not coming. And so I talked to a bunch of people, and they said, I should call you. I'm like, well, I don't know anybody. Like, it's Saturday morning. He's like, no, like, we want you to do it. And I'll never forget before the service, when I stood before that 7,000-plus crowd, Pastor Gabrielle said to me, this is your season of revealing. Like, God is, like, taking you from being obscure to being somebody who's known. And, like, it's funny because I was, I was at this conference this past weekend, and some guy, he's like, you, you, you. He's calling me. I'm adoring him. And, and Yoshi was like, he's calling you. <laughs> Like, thanks, Amazon. Like, really? <laughs> I'm like, hey, what's up? And he was like, you're Pastor Burgos. I'm like, how do you even know this? I'm like, he's like, I'm from Hartford. I'm like, how do you know this? And he had come to one of the concerts that I had hosted. And it was just a reminder, because I had this sermon all planned before I even knew Pastor Gabby was coming. And I had this picture already chosen. It was just a reminder of the time of revealing that God was doing in my life. And it was at that time that I had to have the most faith because God was doing something bigger than I could think of. If I can get that next slide. Because that's our first service here. And so I built, I built my altars and I had a place to reference back towards. And when I was full of fear there and distressed out here, prayerful here, faith-filled here, trusting God here, I, I built my altar everywhere God went. I love that Karma was singing, you know, you remind me of my miracles because she didn't know, but he reminds me all the time. All I have to do is look over my, over my past and see the altars that I've been able to build and to lift up and to raise up on behalf of the Lord and his work in my life. And you have some of these same altars if you would build them. Here's, here's point number three. Here's point number three. That God, are you with me? Come on, are you with me? 
God alters me at the altar. You see, after that, Abram would again find himself in trouble. This time, because he was so blessed and Lot was so blessed that the land they were in couldn't contain them. And now he has a choice again. Do I leave the promised land because it can't sustain me? Or what do I do? Because the land could no longer sustain the two of them. But this time, his approach is different. He goes to Lot and he says, Lot, you choose. You choose which land you want. And the Bible tells us that Lot looked over the land and he saw that the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and the plains over there, which wasn't the promised land, that that place over there was greener. And he looked over here at the promised land and it wasn't as good looking because the promises don't always look good. But the, the whole point of this is that before, Abram might have made a rash decision based on character flaws of not trusting or having faith. As I look back over my life, I realize that God had been altering me at the altar. That God had been changing me and moving in me. And every time I built an altar that God was altering me, I'll put it to you like this. You see, at this altar, where I thought that God would do so much through me at Howard Avenue, I had to give up a part of me. I had to realize that God was calling me to a place that my father didn't ever walk in. And God was calling me to disconnect myself from, some thi- from my father's house. If this was my cell phone, it would represent connections to social media, maybe to people. And God was altering me at the altar. And when I got here, I thought, well, definitely God could do it here. And I was, I was going through a phase in ministry where, where I was, I, I, love, I love how judgmental people are all the time. I just love it. Because they don't know what I've been through. There came a point in my life where when we were doing mobile church, where nobody was coming to set up except for like me and three other people, maybe five at best, sometimes just me and the band. And although I had to preach, I was carrying speakers. I was cleaning toilets at Howard Avenue because nobody wanted to clean. I was doing the things, nobody, I was vacuuming. I was connecting chairs. I was building stuff. I was doing whatever I had to do to get the job done. And people look at me now and they say, well, oh my God, he walks around with a guy next to him who hands him stuff and this and this and that. You don't know that I spent six, seven years building stuff. You don't know. I was the first usher. I was the first sound guy. And I'm not saying it for the sake of pride, but it came a point where Reuben, my brother, Pastor Reuben, he said, you can't do this no more. You shouldn't be here. I want you to focus in the word. And he said, for this season, put down your servant's towel. And God had to alter me. I'm going to take something from you real quick for a second, if you don't mind. Excuse me, I'm going to take your, this is your silent mic. This is Stephen's silent mic. Only the worship team can hear him on this mic. 
No joke. See, I was talking to it. It doesn't come out. Only the worship team hears us. And it was in this season that I was leading worship still. And God said, put that down. He was altering me at the altars. He said, your daughters are going to need you. You can't be at church every night. Your baby needs you. A lot of folks didn't understand me being a father. Still don't. This one. This one. That Easter service, that, that stance at Bastic, at that point where I didn't know what was, I literally didn't know what was next. And I used to pride myself in knowing what was next. And it was at this time that God took my vision. He was altering me at the altar where I worshiped. And he said, now, Lewis, I just want you here. And God, every step of the way, he's altering me. He's altering me. Every, every step of the way, he's just changing me. And I'm not the same person who was over there. See, in this season, I realize and I recognize what God is trying to change in me. See, we had been on the road for two days now, and I was just drinking bad stuff. I was drinking, like, iced tea and coffee and uh, coffee. And then I had coffee. And on a serious note, though, after that coffee, I had a coffee. And I woke up the, the first night and I had a whole day where I just didn't have water. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, my chest. My chest was tight. My arms are tight. My back was all my, everything was just messed up. And then Stephen was like, yo, bro, you been drinking water? And then John was like, yeah, Chulo, no joke. <laughs> it's like lubrication for your... I'm just like... <laughs> At that point, we were walking, and they were all walking ridiculously slow. And I don't like walking slow. Like, I can't walk like this. Like, we're walking to the store. I couldn't do that. I got to walk like this. Like, I got somewhere to be. And I would get to the corner, look back, and they're on the other light. I'm like, come on! My back is hurting and I'm walking fast. Hurry up! My wife was like, I had two babies. What is that going to do with this? <laughs> At this altar, God was taking my strength. And he's saying, you can't do church the way you used to do it in your own strength sometimes. Because you can do that three, four hundred, but the place I'm taking you, you have to lean on others. But first and foremost, lean on my spirit. Lean on my heart for you, my call for you at the altar of fellowship. Strengthen yourself. Eat of my table. And if I look back over the seven, eight years now, over eight years of ministry, I'm not the same person I was because the altar of fellowship has altered me every single step of the way. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, 
but you might not have these reference points that I have. You might not have this digital history that I have. You, you, you might not have these places where they mark these phenomenal times in your life where you call out to God. And I love how the scripture says it, that both times when, 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 when Abram went to Bethel, first time he built the altar and he called on the name of the Lord. The second time he went back to the altar and he called on the name of the Lord. And in Genesis 13, at the end of the chapter, again, you know what Abram would do? He would build yet another altar. Another altar of fellowship and communion with God. Altar of praising and worshiping God. But at this altar, it was an altar of separation where God separated him from Lot. And God was calling him to trust him in the promised land, even though it didn't look as good as the other places around. Because God alters us at the altar. Before, Abram might have been deceptive. Before, he might have, you know, tic-tac-toed him with a, and cheated. He might have given him a, a coin flip with a double-sided coin. He might have said, well, maybe we both have to leave. Maybe we both should go. So maybe we both should, because, because before, in chapter 12, he had a lack of faith. Call it what it is. Left the promised land. Got thrown back to the place he left it at, Bethel. But this time, because the altar had altered him, God was able to really move through him and get him by himself to where it was just God and Abram, not God, Abram, and Lot. Because God altered him. God, God wants to alter you. He wants to cut out the faith that is mixed with fear in your life and just use that faith. Yeah. God wants to take that depression you're struggling with and he wants to cut it out. And God wants to take that hurt you have and replace it with healing. He wants to take those tears and show you that they're watering your blessings. He wants to go ahead and alter you like a girl who is getting a nice dress and she has to get it altered my my wife sometimes watched that show, Say Yes to the Dress. And I, I, just, I just watch it because, you know, I want to be supportive. Praise God. <laughs> and she doesn't watch it all the time, just here and there sometimes. And we were watching it, and the dresses that they, that they pick, that they try on, they're all huge. And they have to put these big clips in the back to tighten it up to show the women what it will look like fit to their frame. But then if they buy the dress, they have to send it out to get altered and they take the parts in they take some material out and they make it fit real good and that's what God wants to do to your life he wants to make his call fit on you but sometimes the call is too tight because you got a little bit of overweight like fear and doubt sometimes the purpose don't fit because you're letting too many problems be in the way of the promise Sometimes you got to drop the, the backpack of laziness you got. That spiritual laziness that drives you to not even want to desire God. And God says, come to the altar. Come to the altar, and I will alter you. Come to the altar, and I will speak into your life.
Come to the altar and I will bless you. And I remind you of my promises. You'll be reminded of his faithfulness, of his goodness, of his glory in your life. Amen? Amen. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I'm going to ask the prayer team if you can just come and get in position. I know we're missing some people today, but to the best of our abilities, just come and take your positions. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the altar. And it's not that something supernatural is going to happen here because you walk to the altar, but it's to say this, that God, he's with me. And I'm coming in faith to this altar saying, God, I know you will restore me. And I know you will bless me. And I know you will alter me at this altar. Come on, would you stand to your feet? And as you stand, once you're on your feet, would you bow your heads? John, if you could help on this side with these two. Hallelujah. Some of you, deep in your hearts, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you need to come to the altar. Some of you have been waiting for me to make the altar call just so you can make that little walk down to the altar. Some of you absolutely know you need it, but your absolute pride won't let you come because in your heart, you say stuff like, well, I could just do it right at my seat. In your heart, you say, I could just do it right at home. I'm already saved. I'm this, I'm that. Put your pride to the side for once in your life Come to this altar because the Father is waiting for you. He's waiting to alter you at this altar. He's waiting to change your life. He's waiting to speak over you. He's waiting to say, you know what? I got something for you. Come on, every head, body, every eye closed. I'm going to say a prayer. And if that's you, just walk out. I don't want you to wait. Just walk out once I pray. In Jesus' name, you know every heart, you know every mind. Lord, if you've called them to come, let them come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, if that's you, come now. Come now. Come now. Come now. Come on, come to the altar. The place of fellowship. The place of sacrifice. The place where we become one with the Father. Just come to the altar. Don't worry about the line. Just come to the altar. Come to the altar. We're trusting and believing our God. He will use us. He will speak over us. He will speak into us in Jesus' name. Come on, as the worship team's about to worship, don't leave that altar till one of them has prayed with you, till one of them has led you in a prayer. Come on, he wants to alter us today at the altar. Come on, worship team. We thank you, Lord.